whenever I'm traveling somewhere, I join like the brothers and sisters of this country group, or I check in like uh, blacks living abroad. And then I just naturally hang out with them. And I'm like, oh, you know, we have a really cool story. I actually never like talk about the podcast. I'm like, oh, like, would you want to be? And they're like, yeah, oh my God, I always wanted to do this. I'm like, okay, great. And so then we just kind of set up the interview from that. Listen, sis, sis, bro, like we're going to be family. We're going to be friends. I don't care if you already got friends. One of my friends, Jonathan, he um, lives in China. He's like, it is not fair that you come here, you sprinkle Tiffany dust, and then you just leave us. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, but isn't it great that we now know each other and like we're family and, and the same way that you guys welcome me if you ever want to if you always want to go to Greece just come you have a place like we're family especially when they're black expats they know what it's like to just get into a country and not know anybody so hello hello welcome to young gifted and abroad perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Tiffany as the guest. Tiffany is a school counselor and a psychologist who mostly has experience working with high school students and college freshmen. And she's also the third of three black women whom I recently had the pleasure and the honor of speaking to about either their current or um, upcoming initiatives to help more students of color go abroad. Uh, So Tiffany um, used to work at a high school where almost all of the students were black or brown. And if they decided to go to college, they, the vast majority of them would be first generation college students. And for her, as someone who studied abroad in college and is very passionate about travel, um, she really wants to start a scholarship that will take care of the airfare for these students um, once they do get to have international learning experiences. So uh, that's something that is currently in the works, uh, but something that is very much close to her heart and something she wants to achieve. Um, But for now, uh, she's actually a school counselor with a traveling high school called Think Global School. Um, So Tiffany was very thorough in explaining to me how it all works. Uh, But basically, it is a full-on, fully-fledged and accredited high school that starts at sophomore year. And over a three-year span, students travel to 12 different countries. Um, So Tiffany and the rest of the staff travel with them. The entire operation moves with the students um, and they are with the students in each country about two months at a time. So they have two months in one country, then they have a few weeks break in between and then move on to the next country. And um, there's a whole bunch of more intricate details and and really fun fun information about all that that you'll hear Tiffany explain but that is basically how it works um so she's been working for that school for a little while and she she talked to me about her career and told me how she ended up in the position that she's in um but we also talked a little bit about her time in South Africa um she studied abroad in Cape Town as an undergraduate student and that experience was what actually sparked the desire in her to want to move abroad and work abroad in the first place so we talked about that and we also talked about her podcast Tiffany among (laughs) among the many other things that I've mentioned so far Tiffany is a podcaster her show is called the uprooted podcast 
and so basically uh, whenever she goes to a new country she finds a way to link up with um, local black uh, expats or fellow travelers and if they're up for it she interviews them about their experiences their identities and what it's like for them being out uh, in the world in all these different countries as black people which I think is so cool um, it's a really great show that she has um, so yeah we talked about a lot this episode I had a lot of fun because um, it seems like she and I have a lot in common uh, Tiffany and I both studied political science in college, and we also were both uh, heavily influenced by our moms when it comes to our exposure to the idea of travel and um, how that, um, what that turned into later on. So <laughs> uh, I had a good old time talking to Tiffany, and I hope you have a good old time listening. And without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Tiffany Green. I'm good. I um I am in Panama for vacation, um so I just came to a co-working space. Okay, nice, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. how long how long have you been in Panama so far? Eight days, and I leave tomorrow. I go to Cuba. So okay, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. I want to say, well, first off, thank you for agreeing to be a guest on this podcast. I really appreciate it. And, and thank you for reaching out the way you did. I really yeah. do appreciate that. Uh, I don't get that very often, but it's cool when it does happen. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are you in the the WOC podcasters group? Okay, so that's how you found out about it. Okay. Yeah, someone just invited me. And so I think it was, I don't know what they were doing. They were talking, they were looking for people to feature. And so I was just nosy and I was just reading through it. And I said, wow, like a podcast on study abroad, which is super awesome. I'm actually in the process of um, starting a scholarship to fund the flights for my old school that I used to work at for students mm-hmm. to study abroad because they all they all know I'm abroad now and um, I used to talk to them a lot I used to bring in expats to the classroom and people who study abroad and talk to them about their experience um, the high school is a hundred percent black and Hispanic and about 70% of them will be first in their family to go to college and so for me I know that study abroad was really important and it's the reason why I, I am so nomadic now it <laughs> um, sounds like wow I want to reach out and and just kind of see like how I can help and also just share with my students and those sorts of things. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice. Well, once again, I'm glad that you found the podcast and I'm super glad that you reached out to be a guest. That is wonderful. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, you're Um, welcome. Yeah. Uh, So why don't we start? I know you like told me a little bit about yourself when I checked out your website and whatnot, but people who don't know you, why don't we start with you introducing yourself a bit, if you don't mind. Awesome. So my name is Tiffany and um, I'm from Connecticut. I grew up in New Haven, which is a really interesting place um, because Yale University is there. But um, historically, it's a very poor town with a lot of violence and um, not the best education system. And so um, growing up, I had this idea of intellect, um, but it didn't come from my household in terms of like in academia. Um, but I was exposed to it just by seeing people go to conferences. My dad worked in the mailroom at Yale. And so I, I knew that there were like people who were passionate about education in there. And I also knew 
that there are people from all over the world who are interested in learning. And so um, because Yale attracts a global audience and an admissions base, um, I just always had this dream to go and meet these people, but in their own culture. Um, and there's a huge disconnect between uh, people who go to Yale and the community. I mean, they do a very good job now, um, but I just remember the moment when I would go to bring your daughter to work day with my dad and all the union workers sit together and then all like the white collar and white coat individuals sat together. And there was no one in that community back when I was younger that looked like me. Um, so I was just always just a very curious child. I would always read fiction novels of other culture, kind of like historical fiction. And so from there, I went to high school. Um, um, I went to the University of Connecticut for undergrad, and I was a mess. Like, I love school. I changed my major like 30 times um, just, <laughs> just because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Because to be honest with you, I never heard of anthropology. I've never heard of linguistics. I never heard of any of these subject areas that were now in my core curriculum. I just wanted to be a lawyer because I used to watch Girlfriends, and Joan was a lawyer. Oh, such a girlfriend. <laughs> that was an amazing show. <laughs> They lied to me, though. They pretended that they can go to work and go to happy hour every day and just live their best life. But that is not how the working world is. <laughs> and so, yeah, I went there as pre-law and political science and I did an internship and I hated it. But I also went abroad to uh, South Africa to Cape Town and I absolutely fell in love. I was working with students and we were doing HIV prevention and I was just like, I need to move abroad. So fast forward, of course, life happens. I went to Howard for grad school to get a degree in counseling psych, got a really awesome job at a university back in Connecticut. And then eight years later, I'm still in Connecticut working in education. I had transitioned to a high school after these students had a protest where they wanted more teachers of color. And I was like, I can do that. Like, you know, I didn't dream to work at a university, so why don't I just move there? And then from there, a few life things happened, and I said, you know what? I'm going to pursue my dream that I had back when I was in South Africa and go work abroad. So that's kind of how I got to being in a high school that travels the globe. I am a counselor for that school now. Nice. Yeah. Wow. What a, <laughs> what a multifaceted journey you've had so far. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Okay, I had so many questions for you. Now I don't know where to start. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so counseling. Uh, yeah. So had you, is that something you kind of just like fell into? Or I know you said you changed your, your major a bunch of times when you were an undergrad. So maybe you didn't have like being a school counselor in mind. But how did it come to be that you became a school counselor? How did that work out for you? So when I finished uh, UConn, University of Connecticut, I had a major in political science and sociology and a minor in human rights and African-American studies. I was all over the place. And whenever a professor was like, oh, you've been really good at this. I'm like, okay, I'll just add it. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I finished, um, when I finished undergrad, I had taken the LSATs and the GRE. I applied to like five programs, all of the suggestions of my professors, nothing that I was sure I really wanted to do, but I, but they believed so much in me. I was like, you know what, I should do this for them. And I had a moment, maybe uh, my senior year, when I was just like, wow, like everything that I've done has been for other people. And I really appreciated them like pointing out my potential, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Mm. Uh, and so I decided to take a step back. And to be very honest with you, my roommate at the time, came home and was like, we should move to DC. 
I'm like, okay, let's move to DC. I was like, what are we gonna do there? Um, and she's like, I don't know. And I'm like, listen, I don't think my parents are gonna let me just move to DC. I need a plan. She's like, okay, let's apply to Howard. I'm like, okay, let's apply to Howard. And so she had known me for a long time, and I had been working with with students in high school um, through camps and and these like counseling roles. She's like, listen, I found the perfect position for you. Um, you can be a school counselor. I'm like. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Like, I always was a person in college who helped people, like, fix their schedules and explore majors because I had done them all. Like, I did every major at UConn at the time. So I knew everything about every major. And so she was like, let's do it. And so I applied only, like, I, I withdrew all my applications for law school and these PhD programs and um, kind of took, like, a gap semester and reapplied to Howard. We got in um, and I went. And so actually... When I was at Howard, I was um, really excited. It was this like aha moment that I can do anything I want in the world just because I was surrounded by all of these successful black people from the president all the way down to like the professors, the TA, the doctoral student. It was just life changing for me, especially coming from Yale, where when you go into the hospital or the university at Yale, the only people of color are in like cooking roles or janitorial roles or like my dad, he worked in the mailroom versus now at Howard, all the people that had the white coats and the white collar, they look like me. So I just had this moment where I was like, wow, I can be anything I want in the world. So I took these school counseling classes. And at the time, this was around 2007, eight. it was very um, political school counseling, right? There wasn't a lot of counseling going on. And that's what I really wanted to do. So when I was in the program, I talked to the chair of the counseling department. I said, I want to switch my major to become a therapist. I felt like there would be more opportunities. Um, I worked for this guy in Pennsylvania who always said, it is far better to prepare youth than to repair adults. And that always stuck with me. And um, I decided to go into um, like just a general like therapy route. And while I was at Howard, I was fortunate that I was the resident director in a dorm. And I also had an internship in their like very psychodynamic counseling center. So I saw everything from like bipolar, um, borderline personality disorders I was treating to then going back in the evening and having these like very casual conversations with students. So when I graduated, I said, wow, I, I want something in the middle. With counseling and therapy, there's so many um, ethical boundaries that you have to abide by. And naturally, I'm just a person that wants to help people. Like, I don't want it to end when the timer goes off and I submit the insurance and I can't talk to you until the next session. I just wanted to just do life with people. I guess that's like the correct word. And so I just, when I graduated, I was like, okay, I would really like to work in a university. And literally, like six months later, this university back in my hometown was opening up a center for only first year students, which is for me a, a passion area, right? Because they're exploring like a new campus and they're trying to figure out how to study and pick their major, but also needing a little bit of like adjustment and anxiety and depression counseling. So it's very surface. Um, and I was like, that's what I want to do. So I ended up working there for five years. Um, and then, like I said, the students had this protest and they had a position where now they needed a college counselor um, to help students explore colleges and it was all on the access side and so it was really a whole nother thing and then a few years later the school counseling position came up um, which is essentially what i went to howard for and now i'm actually doing both like the counseling side and the college access side okay 
Wow. Okay. So you have both, (laughs) like you said, like a, like a therapy background, like Mm -hmm. more of like a a psychology background, but also uh, like a guidance counseling background as well. And so now you get to do both at the same time. That's pretty cool. Is, Is it typical for like school counselors or guidance counselors to have a therapy background as well? Or is that a special, like a specialization that you have? Yeah, they should. I think they should. Um, But I think what I've seen a lot in the U.S. now is they're moving more towards two separate positions. So they either hire social workers who do the counseling Mm -hmm. or they hire college counselors to do the admissions process. Um, Yeah. And then you have the traditional schools where they just have one guidance counselor and which is why I got out of the program because most guidance counselors you hear they're doing schedules and they're subbing classes and they're handling kids who just don't want to be in school. And, you know, the teacher's like, go down to the guidance counselor office. And I was like, I do not want to deal with this. (laughs) Like, this is not restorative at all. This is just like, I'm the, the, the punishment room. And so, um, yeah, so now I'm like in that sweet spot. Um, and because my school that I work at now is so small, I do do both. So, um, I have a caseload of only uh, 30 students. Okay, cool. Cool. And, uh, you said studying abroad in South Africa an undergrad was really, had a really big impact on you. Was that the first time that you had been able to travel internationally? That was the first time I was ever on a plane. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I had never gone. My, my mom was a big road tripper. So we would always travel from Connecticut to Florida, South Carolina, everything from like fun vacations with the family to like church trips. to like anything my mom could do. She was very adventurous. And I really do believe that uh, my mom comes from a really big family, but I am definitely my mother's child. I feel like if they had more of an economic advantage, I would be the second generation nomad because this is like I my mom this is my mom's blood you know she loves adventure but with finance finances growing up and then you know having two children without a degree like obviously she couldn't do everything that I'm able to do but I remember when I first wanted to like when this job that I work at now reached out to me I called my mom first because I was I was terrified and she's like what this is totally who you are I don't understand why you're you're worried about like if you're going to be able to be good at this this is what you want to do and so um yeah but the South Africa in 2006 I had never been to an airport to get on a plane I think maybe we dropped people off um and um but I was so excited um and I had a really good flight it was long it was 24 hours um but it was like a double decker plane I was just in my world like they I was so I was so basic they gave us like eye masks and I was like oh my god we got eye masks (laughs) and air plugs (laughs) and little socks and slippers yeah I obviously there was no Facebook well there was Facebook at the time it's not what it is now um so there was no way to document any of this but I was just such like a basic kid like running around like through the aisles like oh my god we got like multiple meals and if you want snacks you just push the button I was so basic <laughs> you know I'm not gonna lie I, I was kind of like that too at first at, like Delta for instance because I'm, I'm mm-hmm. mostly Delta the first time I got one of those like thin red blankets I was like oh my gosh I get to keep this <laughs> like <laughs> I, was, I, get to, I get to blanket for free. <laughs> for free. Blanket and a pillow. It was just everything to me. I guess. Oh my God. 
<laughs> this is so great. I didn't even care to get off the plane. I had felt like I had gone like abroad just by being on the plane and the aisles. And I was like sneaking downstairs because like only the first class people were supposed to be downstairs. And I was sneaking down there and like trying to see what their life was like. And um, yeah, <laughs> it was it was really fun. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. But I also I also can relate to uh, like you mentioned traveling around with your mom, like driving different places. That. It really reminds me of me and my mom actually, because my mom is is from Kentucky. So I've mm. been going back and forth to Kentucky multiple times a year since I've been alive and going to visit other relatives in different states or or going on mother daughter trips uh, also within the states. Like that was like my experience, my like the beginning of my travel experiences before I got to go somewhere out of the country. So. Um, and that's valid too, because like the U.S. is really big, you know. And even going, having a going to having to go to another state to visit family, that's travel in itself, you know. So I really relate to that when you were sharing about you and your mom going places. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I believe I'm just thinking back to it I think because like when we used to go on these road trips like even my grandmother and my aunt would like fried chicken and put it like in a napkin I definitely think I went on the plane like with a full meal like <laughs> I think my parents <laughs> I think they like fried me chicken because you know cold fried chicken is great especially when you're on a road trip you just kind of have a little bit of hot sauce that kind of like dried up and um, I literally <laughs> <laughs> I literally think I don't know what we thought I would just get like peanuts we weren't sure so it's just the unknown and all you see is like how far you're going to be traveling um but actually I just remember this um when I was in high school this was in 2000 I was in high school and I got approached by a program called people to people student ambassador and I don't know yeah. if you're aware of that yeah um, and so I remember, I, I'm just, I don't know why I just thought of this. I remember getting something in the mail and thankfully my, both my parents, we, they both come from really large families, but they only have my brother and I. So we were afforded a lot more opportunities and kind of all the things that my mom may have gotten in the mail that she couldn't do. She was like really pushing me to do. So one of my really good friends had just went to England, Scotland and Wales over the summer with people to people. And she told us about it. My mom was like, Oh, we have to get you to go. And so of course my mom, like, like I said, she's super adventurous, but my dad is super protective. I'm the only daughter and he's like you're not going so mm -hmm. we convinced my dad to let me go to this info session um and i was supposed to actually go to australia in the the summer of 2002 but when 9 11 happened in 2001 all the trips got canceled so i think um south africa was like something that happened like kind of in me that I was like really anxious to get to because I felt like I missed the moment that I was supposed to go. Um, and I, I do remember that was my mom driving that as well. Just like, yeah, you should go. It's a great opportunity. And I remember her just talking to my dad, like in the house, like Craig, let her go, you know, she'll be fine. <laughs> and my dad's like, I don't know, Terry, you know, like we're, we're not sure. We don't know what's going on over there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do remember that she was just like my biggest advocate to like push me into I guess who I was always supposed to be, but I just didn't know it existed, like this whole nomadic culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. You know, my, my mom never tried to uh, like hold me back from anything per se, but as far as like, cause I got invited to do people to people as well when I was younger, mm -hmm. she wouldn't let me go. 
Um, <laughs> I'm an only child. And she was just like, no, you're not going. I, I tried to go to, uh, for undergrad, I was trying to go to college in a different country. There was a school in, I think, like Quebec, like in Montreal, I was thinking of going to. There was a couple of schools in France I was thinking of going to. She was like, no, like, no. <laughs> so she, like, she knew I wanted to get out there and travel, but mm-hmm. it was almost like she kind of uh, resisted it up until the point where she couldn't really control that anymore. She's like, okay, yeah. you're in college now. I know this is something <laughs> I wanted to do. And, you know, as long as you can afford it or find a way to afford it and it's safe, then then fine. And I'll help you as much as I can. But before, up until that point, like when I was still in high school and, and all that, she was like, no. Mm-mm. You know? no <laughs> Even though it didn't work out for you in high school, uh, mm-hmm. you still had that support. And that's my mom yeah. wasn't supportive. It was just, it's yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. You different. Know? People mm-hmm. are different when it comes to their kids. And, um, uh, and you still got to go to South Africa eventually anyway, so we don't. <laughs> yeah, I have a question for you. Because um, yeah. one thing, so I work at a school where the students come from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And um, in a couple of weeks, I'm actually going to be in um, Dublin and Ireland to kind of look at some schools. And I'll be honest, when I started working at this job with all these students and even staff from all over the world, there was one thing I thought that every single young adult with a degree had in common and that was student loans. Um, I thought like we were all living in the struggle. You know, I remember asking them like, oh, what bills do you have? Like how much is your student loan debt? And, and to be honest with you, most people outside the US are like, we don't have any. And if they do, it's less than like $10,000. I'm like, you know, just go ahead and roll that over with mine. I'll just go ahead and start making payments for you. <laughs> like $10,000, like, okay. Um, and so one thing I'm really trying to do both with my students and then just naturally, because I still am very connected to the high school that I used to work at, is to really encourage students to look outside of the U.S. for university, especially when most places, the most expensive you'll get outside of maybe Australia and Canada is like $10,000, $12,000 a year. Even yeah. Oxford, like the best school in the world that everyone knows, Oxford is only around $11,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And then you look at its equivalent, which is like Yale, Harvard, which is creeping up to around $80,000, $85,000 a year. And so what made you think, because I, I never, I went to high school, I went to college about an hour and a half away from where I lived. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you think of that? Because I, I think that's really impressive because that's something I think other students should think about, mm-hmm. but we don't. Like what, I'm, I'm just curious, this is my only question. Oh, no, no, it's wonderful. Um, I was, studying French at the time. I I mean, I guess still am. Like French was, mm-hmm. I got one of my degrees is in French. I still like wow. self-study when I can, try to immerse, mm-hmm. um, involve it in, my, in, in as much of my life as I can. At the time I was studying France and I knew I wanted to go to France. That was like my dream since when I was like five or six. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, so I was just thinking like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if like, instead of going to college and like waiting until I could study abroad in France, like if I could just, go to school in France. And I think at the time I knew it was less expensive as well, but in high school, I wasn't thinking really about the cost. I was thinking about, you know, like dream school or like, you know, the experience of being a college student. So that was that was my main motivation. I think I was looking at McGill. I don't know how I heard out, heard about McGill, but oh, yeah. McGill is like the one of the top schools in Canada and it's in Montreal, which is part of the French speaking. It's in Quebec, so I mean, I'm sure you know. French-speaking part of Canada, 
So I was like, oh, that's perfect. I could go to a really good school and I could be in a French environment. My friends would probably get super good. I'd be like super fluent by the time I was done. <laughs> and then I was, because in college I also studied political science. So there are a couple political science schools in France I was looking at as well. So I think it was just like the language element, knowing that I wanted to go abroad anyway. And then also um, the field that I was interested in, like political science, international relations, all of that led me to, you know, consider going to school, go, going to university in a different country. But like I said, my mom was, <laughs> I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate since you mentioned student loans that my mom helped me out a lot paying for school. And I got scholarships as well, which I'm really grateful for. But she was basically like, uh, I'm paying for your schooling. And you're not, no, you're not going to school abroad. You're not going to university outside of the country. <laughs> and she was trying to be controlling. She's just very much like, we're very close. And she, uh, I think it was like, how, how are you going to, you just want to go and be away from me for like four years? Right. Like, like what is this? Right. Why do you, why would you want to do that? How are like, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's why I was thinking about it at the time, but it didn't. That wasn't uh... <laughs> like in tears right now. But it was fine, actually. I was really. I the school I ended up going to was not my first choice at all because I, again, always outward looking. I was trying to go to a big city or whatever, but it ended up being perfect because I got to study abroad a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I was in a very like uh, outward looking like very like worldly cultured environment and I didn't have really any debt nice um maybe like a couple of thousand maybe mm-hmm. um but at this point I, I don't have any college debt so it worked out yeah. in the end yeah and like like with you, you you got to go to South Africa I got mm-hmm. to go to France and and um and Japan as well so it worked out even though it wasn't what I was dreaming of in <laughs> high school <laughs> exactly everything yeah. worked out <laughs> Um, so yeah, hopefully I wasn't too long-winded answering your question. Uh, I really like, I really like the idea, um, that one you were looking into, I think both of us are like testaments that like, no matter what our path does, it always leads us to where we're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, now back to you. I'm sorry. I'm not crying. I just was laughing so hard. No, I know. I know. I'm like, you're like laughing. You're like 18 years. I love it. (laughs) Like perfect morning breakfast. (laughs) Your tears. (laughs) Um, okay, so I really want to, I was really interested in talking to you about the, the like traveling high school, um, program that you work with, but I do want to, um, talk about, I, I still had a couple questions about South Africa. Um, yeah. this is your first time on a plane, first time going abroad. Did you have any sort of like expectations or like a, an idea of how it was going to be? And did it, was it like that once you were actually there? Um, like, how did it compare to whatever, you know, expectations or an- anticipation that you had? Um, let me think. I had an expectation that um, there would be all Black people. I was <laughs> like, yo, this is going to be my country, my land, my people. Um, and my dad was so proud because um, when I was when I was applying to colleges, he really wanted me to go to an HBCU. Mm-hmm. He just 
he didn't know anyone that had gone there per se, but he just knew the reputation. And so he was just like, come on, Tiff, like apply. So I think like I re-earned my brownie points for my dad when I decided to go to South Africa. And my dad was is an activist in general and um, really made sure that I had black Barbies and that I read black books. And so I knew a lot about Nelson Mandela and um, just kind of the route that South Africa had been through. Um, but one thing that did surprise me is that I didn't expect there to be so many white South Africans. So it kind of caught me off guard um, when I got there. Uh, my expectation, honestly, was just to enjoy it. I, I don't think, like now the travel movement is so large and if you're gonna get on a plane, you have a thousand and one things that you can do, like think about doing before you get there. But for me in 2006, there was none of that. Um, and I had never known anyone who even gone to South Africa. And so, you know, you had some people that were like, oh, where are you gonna live? Are you gonna live like amongst the animals? Like, is it gonna be really hot? Like all of these different misconceptions based off of what we learn in academia about Africa as children. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that was something. Um, so there was a couple of things that really caught me off guard. One was the amount of white South Africans. Two, at the time, my family, this is gonna sound really, 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 um, I don't know, trivial because now it's just so common. But at the time, we only ate white bread. Mm. We only had white rice. And this is before like the brown grain movement started, mm. you know, like, where everybody was getting healthy. And so I remember when I got to the homestay, the lady had brown bread and I was like, Oh, like, what is this? Like, I want white bread. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I don't want this bread. Like in my head, I said it, I ate it, of course. But the only time my bread got brown was when we toasted it. You know, I didn't have, we didn't have like wheat bread. And the same thing with the sugar, all the sugar on the table was brown and the rice was brown. Like I said, this is like pre, like, you know, the car movement where everything should be brown. And I remember we had this really honest conversation um, and I asked her, I said, you know, why don't you guys use white bread? And she was like, white bread. And I was like, yeah, like the bread I eat at home is white. She said, how? She said, if you think about like what wheat looks like, which it, what it takes to make bread is brown. How do you get white bread? So for her, she's thinking about how in the world in the U.S. do we have white bread, you know? And um, I never thought about it. And she went on to kind of have this conversation with me over time that said that in the U.S. the standard of beauty is white and so everything that they produce for us is going to be white so white sugar looks better on the table versus brown sugar but everything that they were eating was very very natural and so I remember when I told my dad that I mean I think for like a week he tried to only eat brown bread just for the cause but I mean we're just so used to white bread <laughs> um, but that was one thing that had really um, caught me off guard the other thing was our cabs were these uh, like uh, Mercedes buses, which is so common outside the US, mm -hmm. right? Like you get like a bus or like a, a tourist shuttle and it's a Mercedes. And I was like, wow, like a Mercedes, like this is huge. <laughs> I was so basic. I had never, like I said, I had never really been anywhere. <laughs> so I was just like, oh my God, we're in a Mercedes. And um, <laughs> yeah, so I, that was something that was really surprising. The infrastructure there was really great. Um, and I just remember my my thought and my mission was to rebrand Africa, you know, mm -hmm. and when I got back, 
um, to really make sure that people knew the real Africa, that it wasn't just animals, the equator and huts that we see, or poverty. Yes, there was poverty and I worked, we did like a camp for kids in this township, um, but it was so much more than that. It was beautiful. It's a place that like we should go and visit if you want to, um, and you can have a really enjoyable time. And so I think those are some of the things, and it's interesting, some of the people uh, that are were in South Africa, I still talk to them. There's three ladies in particular that I'm thinking of. One actually has a, a clothing line in New York City now. The other one, she just went to New York City for the first time. Um, she, she just left like yesterday. And um, I, my one of my best friends uh, went study abroad to South Africa the year after me and I connected them and she went and hung out with them and they tagged me. And this is what, 13 years later, um, from meeting her. And then another young lady, she lives in, I want to say Bali or Thailand, and she's doing like tourism, um, like a, a entrepreneurship venture. And so I think for me, it's really awesome to have these people that I connected with so well that I, whenever I need anything or if I'm in Southeast Asia or if I'm going to be back in Southern Africa or if I'm in New York, I have people that I still can connect with. So I, I don't know if that answered your question, um, but those are some of the things that either surprised me or stood out to me or really made a big impact on me. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good that because, um, you know, wait, how long were you in, in Cape Town? Um, for the summer. For the summer. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, like study abroad is like for a certain period of time, right? And then once you're done doing what you have to do there, you go home. So yeah. it's good that you've been able to keep up with uh, that many people, like to maintain those strong bonds with each other mm -hmm. so many years later. That's really special. And I like what you mentioned. I know you said it, maybe it sounds bizarre when you were talking about white bread and white rice and white sugar <laughs> and all that stuff. Like, uh, it, I never thought about it that way, but... Um, you know, it makes sense. I remember I, I was talking to my friend. I think I interviewed one of my friends for this podcast a while back. And mm -hmm. she was saying something about how, like, one of her favorite things to do when she goes to a new country is to walk around, like, the convenience stores or, like, the grocery stores. Because she feels like you can get a glimpse of what that country is like. Like, a grocery store, surprisingly, um, is, like you kind of get an image of what the, that country values or what that country is about through its food and the, yeah. the stuff that's being sold. Um, and at the time I was like, oh, that's funny. But like, <laughs> it's not that I didn't really, I was not thinking about it like that, but like hearing you say what, what you just said brought that back to mind for me, yeah. And um, it's so true because like, for example, in a lot of countries, that I've gone to, and if I'm staying for a longer period of time, usually I'll um, find a place of housing where I can cook as well. Um, and I remember going one place and, you know, in the U.S., you have to ask, like, where's the organic, you know, section if you want to get anything organic. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I don't know where I was. I don't know if I was in Germany or Austria. And she was like, organic section. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, where's all the stuff that's natural, no pesticides? She's like, honey, the whole store, like the <laughs> whole store is organic. I, I don't know why you, what do you mean? Like, what is something that's not organic? She couldn't understand it. Um, and and when you're just coming from the U.S. perspective, you just think that, oh, everyone just has, like, this privileged area of the store instead of thinking that everyone has access to, to something. So, yeah, I'm actually going to start doing that. I'm going to start walking around grocery stores. 
<laughs> and just see what's fresh and to kind of know what to order maybe for restaurants based off of what is in supply. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool tip. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, uh, yeah, so that was South Africa. I'm sure you had an amazing time. Do you have like um, something that was like your favorite part or something that was most memorable from your time when you were in South Africa? Um, yeah, I think working in that, um, in the township with the kids and the families and you get to know them. And I, I think like at that moment, I, I mean, I knew that I wasn't the most wealthy, uh, like person and family, especially growing up in Connecticut where wealth has such like a huge disparity. You kind of understand like when you're going for a basketball game, you're playing, you go to their high school, you're like, yo, this is crazy. You know, like they got <laughs> cinemas and, and uh, whiteboards back when we had chalkboards. And so uh, <laughs> like, wow, they got lockers, like with locks, you know, just so I was so basic. <laughs> but, uh, that's the only word I could use to think about my old self. Um, but yeah, so I think um, I remember like them and their life was so simple and it really kind of took me into this place of simplicity really since 2006. They would just wake up when the sun rose them. They had no alarm clocks and they went to sleep when the sun had set or, you know, shortly thereafter. And I remember we used to bring um, like bags of bread and peanut butter and jelly for the kids. And when our like shuttle showed up, Ah, the kids were just like banging on the the bus. They were so excited to see us and they just wanted to hang out. And all we did was like do crafts and sing songs and just like super hype, super pumped. And it was my first time working with kids. Um, And I I love like working with kids because I have like an inner kid in me and I just want to like jump up and just sing and just twirl and just laugh with them. And um, just like the gratitude, I remember one time we ran out of bread and we only had one left and there was probably like six kids that didn't get to have anything. And I just remember the kids like breaking their bread, like their sandwich in half. And I was just like, wow, like these kids are hungry. And, you know, we, we went with peanut butter and jelly because like with the brown bread and the peanut butter, if they had that, it would like sustain their nutrition. Mm-hmm. And I just thought like, you know, how many times in the U.S., me included, where I was like, I'm eating my whole sandwich. <laughs> and they were, and I had another meal coming, you know, but they were like, oh, no, it's OK. Like we would just split ours up. And um, I think. I, I did like do Tables Hot Mountain and I went to Nelson Mandela's prison cell and those things were great. But I honestly think my whole life perspective and understanding of gratitude and um, other like core values was really in that township. And to the point where, you know, now I'm like such a minimalist. I'm like one of those people, if I buy a shirt, I give away a shirt. Like I just, I'm like, Tiff, you're not even wearing it. I I think about those kids a lot um, and they're obviously adults now. Um, But I just thought about like the lessons that they taught me just being happy with very little and, um, and, and trying to live in the moment of things, which I feel like they did really well. So I don't have like a particular like event. Like we, like I said, I did work in like University of Western Cape and did like HIV and AIDS stuff there. Um, but the kids and the the like kind of volunteer part was really like uh, life changing for me. I yeah. Think. And uh, I don't know, maybe this is like a typical question to ask someone who's been to Africa, who's like, who's black, like we are, but like mm-hmm. did, did be going to South Africa 
uh, or just like the fact of being on the African continent uh, in general, did that um, make you feel any type of way or make you reflect in any type of way about uh, how you see yourself, like your history or your identity as a black person? Did that have any um, influence at all during that time? Yeah, it was really empowering. It was, um, it, it wasn't like the aha moment I had when I was at Howard, but like it was the first time that um, there was a, like a drugstore or a, um, like a makeup store that had all of our like tones, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, at the time when I was in high school, I did everything my mom didn't do when she was a kid. So one thing she wanted to do was like go to modeling school. And if you knew me, I was like, not that girl at all. But I went just because she was like, come on, like, it's going to be great. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> sure, mom. And I remember like uh, the the tones for my foundation, the lip color were trash. Like they had, it was just terrible. This is probably like 2001 and, and they were just like they had to develop like the yellow undertones or like the red undertones so I just looked like a ghost you know mm-hmm. and the pink lipstick I'm like who is this for they they had like a bag for like darker skin like darker tones but it wasn't darker like black darker it was like darker white you know like someone who's tan and so to go to South Africa and for people to greet me as if we're family and welcome home. And I just felt like, wow, like this is where we were like hundreds of years ago thriving. Um, and, and South Africa is really interesting because I mean, South Africa literally is about, I would say 40 years behind the US. Like all of the racial politics that have gone on in the US, South Africa basically is dealing with. So what where we had Jim Crow, they have apartheid, mm-hmm. you know, and so where they had Nelson, we had like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X merged into two. And so it's just really interesting to go there because you do feel I felt um, very connected to the people and, the sh- and kind of like what they were dealing with. They had mar- like the, the wealth gap was so marginalized. Um, there was so much disparity, sorry, within their wealth and within their education system. Um, and there was people with privilege and you knew that they had privilege. Um, and, and it's very similar to kind of how I felt like the plight of black Americans have been in the U.S. So. I think when people want to go to the continent, I, I think South Africa is a really good place to start if they want to, um, because you'll get the infrastructure. You don't really have to change your lifestyle much, even whether you're in Joburg or if you're in Cape Town or Durban, um, and you're going to get enough culture. I feel like the culture there is pretty preserved, um, and I think it's a good place. And for me, it was the start of just a domino effect of just wanting to meet more people um, and, and really more blacks who identify as black, but their 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 life is so different. And, but just to see like our similarities, our differences, and just to connect people like from the diaspora. So that was your time in South Africa, and then you continued to travel from there, right? And then you you went from that to wanting to become like no more like nomadic, as you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think now I use the word nomadic. It's like the cool buzzword. I don't know if I thought of it like as that. I I just knew that every chance I got for a vacation, whether from school or a vacation from work, I just wanted to be in another culture. I always tell people um, 
had I like known some things, I probably would have studied like anthropology and journalism to just write about experiences of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just am really intrigued. I'm a talker, as you can see. Um, and I like <laughs> to like get to know people, like genuinely connect to them. And um, I, I've, I've never actually had the fear of like, okay, you know how you travel somewhere and you're like, well, I'm going to leave soon, so I'm not going to connect with anybody. I'm like, no, 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 I'm going all in. And I'm just going to get people. Like, even here in Panama, my friend um, that I met from New York, he's like, you're like a local. I got my hair done, my eyebrows done, my nails done. You know, I'm in the grocery store. I'm just, like, chit-chatting with, like, the Uber driver, telling him, like, where should I go? Okay, it's not on the, like, top 10 things on Lonely Planet, but cool, take me there. I want to go there. Um but I think that I've always been really interested in people and their cultures. And I also think um, the church that I grew up in as a kid, the pastor's wife used to go to India all the time mm-hmm. and come back with like fascinating stories about people. And I was like, I want to do, I want to learn about other people. I want to, I want to do that. And I have found that in like in the U S people are so busy with um, like work it's it's so hard to connect with people. I cried when I graduated from grad school because it was like an instant way to just get to have community versus like with work, everyone has different schedules and your stress level is just different. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm on vacation or when I'm traveling, I don't have that. And so I can take the time to like pause and just like reflect. And so I think like maybe a combination of those things and just knowing that there was more out there um, than the U.S., I was just really intrigued to just see it and like touch it and taste it. And I'm adventurous. So not I'm probably not jump out of a plane adventurous, but like I'm adventurous in terms of I want to get to know people. I'll try the food. I don't even drink coffee, but Panamanian coffee is so delicious that I am actually drinking as if I'm like this huge coffee drinker. But if you look at the cup, I've only had like this much. (laughs) Um, But that's just the type of person I am. I just want to like be all in. And I felt like when you move somewhere, even for just a short period of time, like two weeks or a week, it's super great to just like get to know people. And so I I really think it's like in my blood. Like I just love people. That's nice. I feel like that makes things easier too. Going into new situations, meeting new people. If you already like people, then yeah. <laughs> that helps. You know? so if you're a little more wary around new situations, then maybe that takes a little more, like um, <laughs> a little more prompting to to get used to. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's good that you have that advantage. <laughs> or, oh yes, the the high school, like the traveling high school. You're still yeah. with this program. Yeah, I am. So it's super awesome. Um, This lady literally made this school for me. I I don't know, like, (laughs) about the kids who are benefiting, but she, like, did what I always wanted to do. So essentially, it's founded by this amazing woman from New Zealand um, who was a photographer for National Geographic. And so she has a son. And by the time her son was around 13, he had already been to around 70 countries Mm. because she used to travel with him. She homeschooled him, you know, that sort of thing, because her job was just so um, nomadic, I guess. Um, She would just shoot here and there. And so she just felt it was best to, like, kind of teach him. And so when it's time for him to go to high school, she's like, listen, he probably needs to settle down, whatever that means, right? 
and find a high school. So she's like, we've been all over the world. Let me just look for a high school that maybe he can travel abroad or values global citizenship. And so she couldn't find one. And so she started her own high school. So this was about 10 years ago um, where she started this high school. And so it's a full-on high school. Um, and so one of the questions I always get is, is it like people to people student ambassador where like new kids come? No, these kids apply for this to be their high school experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I'm the school counselor for one of the cohorts. We have two cohorts. And the rotation that the kids will go through in their high school career is that they will go to 12 countries on six continents and be exposed to around nine or 10 languages. Um, and so the schedule is for in each country for around two months, around like nine weeks. And then instead of it having a traditional summer break where we just continue to learn, 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 it's more on a, like a cyclical system. So we're in the country for two months and then I have around like four to five weeks of vacation because the kids go home to recheck in. They do service learning at their own locations. They might study for the SATs during this time because when we're in country, we have a lot going on. We do language fitness, they do classes, I'm doing like counseling as well as like college um, or university prep. Um, So in my cohort alone, we have 27 students right now. um, And they're from around like 23 or 24 countries. So the the language of instruction is English. And it's um, the entire school goes with us. So when we were in Costa Rica for two months, we had around 12 educators. So that includes the principal, myself. We have a logistics coordinator who knows everything about the in-country operations. She was there a year before we arrived, got everything together, housing, food, guest speakers, field trips, that sort of thing. And then we have an admin assistant. Um, And then we have seven educators. So this is like people who are more skilled in math, science, music, English, that sort of thing. And then the students are the 27 students. So when we arrived, to Costa Rica, all of us were there, and then we all departed basically on the same day from Costa Rica. We went wherever we're from, or like me, I just kind of bounced around kind of locally, and then we'll all meet up, and our next location is Greece, and so we'll meet up in about two weeks in Greece. Okay. So that's the school. So like, this is my job. I am like their full-time like counselor um, for the school, and yeah, this is this is my life. So I no longer work with a high school um, that I used to work with, but I'm still like very connected. I, yeah. I like still check in on the students and kind of see how they're doing. And I mean, I'm like I said, I'm really big on connections and I'm one of those people and my friends will tell you, like, I'm the girl you can't get rid of. So <laughs> like, <laughs> so, so let's say like, for example, right now, like you have all this beautiful like shirt with like the flowers and like it can be like three or four months from now and I see a very similar shirt and I'm taking a picture and I'm like, hey girl, just thought of you because I saw this shirt. Like, or like, hey, remember when we had that peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Like I'm eating one now. Like, yeah, I'm that girl. Like you might not hear from me, but like I I felt like people like because I'm intentional about conversation, we connect to the point where it's not like, oh, what is she? She must want something. That's why she texts me. I'm like, no, just hey. Like I was just thinking of you because I saw this shirt and it, it looked just like the shirt you had on. <laughs> and that would be like our connection, you know. Yeah. That's good. Let's stay connected to them. Um, yeah. I'm sure if you if you mentioned this before, but how did it happen that you ended up like taking this job, like leaving your the school that you were at to being part of this, is it Think Global School? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Think Global. 
So actually what happened was I, I was like reevaluating my life. And the year before I started uh, Think Global, I had backpacked West Africa. And so mm-hmm. when I was there, um, I'm trying to think, maybe this was the first time I was back on the continent. I had done a lot of stuff like in the Caribbean and in Europe um, in Asia, but I hadn't gone back to the continent since 2006, even though when I left there, I thought I was like, I'm going to come back here like every year. It just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So um, I was fortunate to travel like through West Africa. And as I was planning the trip, I just, because it was a long-term trip, um, I just remember all of the thoughts and and dreams I had about living abroad. And I was just trying to figure out like, where did those go? And so what I did was when I was planning for the trip, I actually started to tell people my dream. Like, you know what, I really want to live abroad, but I was really, um, I guess, serious, or I I didn't want to compromise on my job. You know, I really love working with students in that whole, like, counseling, like, very, like, mild counseling, not super clinical, um, because clinical comes with the boundaries, but I I love counseling. I love working with either high school students or, like, beginning college students, and I really love access work, so, like, helping students get into college, Mm -hmm. and so I said, I don't want to go abroad just to live abroad and do something I hate. You know, I, I spent a lot of money on this degree. I need to stay right in this field. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm still Owen Naviant, Sally Mae, whoever she is. I'm almost done though. <laughs> but um, <laughs> and so I, I, I just started to tell people my dream. And one of my coworkers, and I, I know people sometimes have this idea of like, don't tell people your dream because they might not be have the best for you. But I've never really experienced that. I've always felt like sharing my dream really allowed me to learn about opportunities and. So one of my coworkers, he did the Peace Corps and he was in Ukraine or something like that. And I remember him saying, Tiff, you know that you can do exactly what you do at this high school abroad. And I was like, how? He's like, oh, they have something called America International Schools. I never heard of this. I never heard of British International Schools. Um, There's none, I don't think, in Connecticut. We have private schools, but nothing like a school for like diplomats and all these other things. So once he gave me that information, he said, why don't you, since you're going to be trekking through, you have your tentative dates, reach out to every school in every country in West Africa that you're going to be going to and see if they can just meet with you get an understanding, like get a vision of what these schools look like. I'm like, is a school outside? Like, I, I just didn't know what the school looked like. So I, I just blindly emailed every head of school and just said, hey, I'm going to be in your area. It was during the summer, which most of these schools shut down. Um, but I was able to see the American International School, which is called Lincoln Community School in Ghana. I was really fortunate to like, meet the, the head of school. And she's a black woman too, which is cool because I, you know, I just, everything was so new for me. And then also so the really impactful one was when I met the head of school of the um, American International School in Dakar, Senegal. Mm-hmm. And he really sat me down and, and kind of broke down like how working internationally at a school benefited him and his family, how to get into it. And I was leaving maybe three days later to go back to work in the U.S. And he gave me the like old school job postings of every international school in like abroad in a newspaper format. He was like, you know what, you're gonna be on a really long um, flight, just read this. And I was like, okay, cool. So I read it, he told me where I needed to join. So how you get involved, if anybody's interested, you would join something called either um, I did search associates or there's also ISS, which is like international something services. But if you just Google ISS international school, you do need to pay. 
um, and I don't remember, I think it was like $60 or something, but they basically go through and do all the background work for you. So you need five letters of recommendation, including one from your principal, as well as one from a parent, and then three colleagues, like maybe your direct supervisor and then two other colleagues. So when I came back, I sat down, I don't believe in secrets. I'm like, listen, this is what I really want to do. But the guy in Dakar, the head of school, he was like, it takes around three years to get a really good match. So don't quit your job. Like you need to like finish this year. Obviously I would never break a contract in like a school. It's just, it's just so problematic for the student, but, um, you know, do that. And so after around two months, I, um, I got approved like to go through search associates. They, they really look at, do you have enough experience because schools want to make sure you're licensed. You have at least like two to four years of experience, but even with that it's super competitive. So I just remember, um, once you get approved for these things, it's almost like a dating service. So like all the schools post solely on these two platforms and then all the qualified candidates that have already been background checked and, and, and verified are on there. So then you just kind of look, you can reach out to them and they can reach out to you. And so I was super blessed because they reached out to me and they were like, hey, um, we see your experience, we see your resume, you should apply to the school counselor position, we're expanding it. And I said, oh, Oh my gosh. And that's when I called my mom. She's like, this is totally you. Like you should do it. <laughs> and I was like, they, I hope they picked me. They got my hopes up. They like reached out to me. Um, and so, yeah, so the process was, I had around once, maybe four interviews. Um, and then I got the job. I got the job in November and I didn't start until July. Um, so just so people know, most jobs are filled by December, January. Um, but it was such a surprise. I remember like going into like my boss's office and I was like, hey, so I got a job for next year. And she's like, what? Like, I thought you said three years. And I told my principal, but, you know, I, I just wanted to, I, I always tell like, I always think about this, like when I was working at the university and they totally supported me going to the high school when the kids had the protest for more teachers of color and then working at the high school and now going here, you know, like my whole life is helping students like achieve their dreams. Mm -hmm. And so for me, something really big that I look for in an employer is someone who will do the same for me. You know, yeah. I know like in corporate, it's not always allowed, um, but I feel like in an educational environment, like I want someone to like push me and cheer for me and support me. And and in both times, they, they were super supportive. Sad, of course, you know, but like just, you know, I was sad too. You know, I miss my students. I still check up on them. I'm like, you know, how are your grades? How you're doing? Um, especially because now they're all in university. Um, but that's kind of how I found the job. I'd never heard of this school before. To be honest, it felt like it was too good to be true. I would tell my mom, like, I, when I go there, it's not like, gotcha. And now I like quit my job and they already hired somebody else. Um, but it, it's, it's really cool to, um, I'm really doing life with students, which is like kind of what I always wanted to do. It's just like, not just be a counselor, but be a mentor and like a support. That's so awesome how that all came together and you're getting to yeah. do all the things that you yeah. want to do. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what type of uh, students do, I mean, you probably don't do like recruiting or anything like that, but like, do you yeah. know like what type of students they try to get in this program? Like what type yeah, of students yeah. tend to uh, apply and get into this program? Yeah, yeah. So I, I am, I'm part of the third round of interviews. So they go through five rounds and I am okay. part of the third ones. I can kind of tell you, we don't necessarily care about grades in the sense that 
It's not like a private school where you're going to take a, an assessment. We're looking for the top student. We're really looking for students who are super curious um, and adventurous in the sense of seeking new experiences. So we don't want students who, when we bring them to a new country, like don't want to try the food or um, they just want to eat at McDonald's, like that sort of thing. Like these students are people who've been interested in cultures, whether because they've been traveled or even within their own means, like maybe they read a lot of books about different people and we're project-based and place-based learning. So we do a lot of learning that's specific for the country. So for example, um, when we were in Oman in the Middle East, which is a really cool country because it have like a huge Afro-Arab culture um, because Oman used to own Tanzania. So there's a lot of people that look just like us that are in Oman, but they're Arabic, you know, they're a total Arabic culture. Mm -hmm. um, so when we were in there, we had three modules that students take part in, in addition to meeting the requirements for their U.S. diploma. Um, so the first one was we did a sailing module. And so sailing was really big for Oman to uh, like gain wealth. So they traded spices for oil. So they got spices from India kind of on the Silk Road and Tanzania, which is why the food is so much greater there because like they have really good spices. <laughs> and then they gave those countries oil um, and they used sailing as a mechanism to trade. And so when students were there, they they were able to get their sailing certification and they learn the history while they're doing the the, the course. Um, and so they're understanding the, the merger between what sailing meant for Oman. The second thing that they did was uh, they did the anthropological module where they were able to understand like the Bedouin culture and what nomadic culture looks like in Oman. So they were able to like interview people and get to know them and they created a graphic novel or like a comic book um, that kind of shared the culture. And um, so they worked with a graphic artist who was there um, to just expose it. So the school's called Think Global School because it's supposed to like help you think about solutions for the future. So it's contrary to like like for me, I'm a really good student. I'm obedient. If you tell me to read 30 pages tonight and to have every index card of every like bolded word of the book, I'm going to do it, you know? So I, I will be fine in like a, a school, like a regular school. But, you know, the, this is for students who they're really smart, but they just don't thrive in that like traditional academic setting. They're more hands-on, kinesthetic. And we do have the traditional students like me. Um, but at the same time, we look for students who who might have a high level of intellect, but just aren't shining in their regular schools. And so we take them out of that concept and we put them in the work itself. And the third one was um, they got their scuba diving certification because in Oman, just like the rest of the Middle East, like oil is not as lucrative. And so because of that, they need another avenue for funding. So sustainable tourism is what they did. So they worked with like building a website on how you can travel to Oman to do scuba diving and to also be sustainable, not use straws. Um, I think I just saw a, a stat downstairs from where I am now, it said like by two, 2050, there's going to be more straws in the ocean than sea life. Um, just because our, they like choke the turtles and do like things. And to be honest, this school has really helped me to be more sustainable in traveling because I never thought about that. I was definitely the girl, I need a straw um, like for everything and, you know, just wasteful. But you just don't know. And you have these people from different walks of life who can like help expose you. So we look for students who are interested in like diving deep into culture because you're there for two months. And it's not a long time, but we're very intentional. So before they come, they need to decide what is the thing that I'm going to focus 
focus on outside of the module, outside of the regular classes that I'm going to connect with. Everyone gets language classes. Everyone does some sort of physical activity that is um, connected to the country. So in Costa Rica, we all got surfing lessons. Um, and so you kind of do that. So after that process, to be honest, we get a lot of applications and usually students just want to travel, but that's not enough, right? Like we want students to, yeah, you want to travel, but like, are you interested in living in a really close knit community of like 30 students? Um, and so once we get through that and, and realize, okay, they are really passionate about something. So we just accepted a student who I'm really pumped about. He wants to be a journalist and his idea for being at the global school is in every country he interviews people and starts creating articles and whether he publishes them to our website or we have someone who's interested in music and in every country they want to get to like take lessons because they have like a, a budget for personal project they want to take a lesson of like the the country's instrument like their main instrument and over time have a portfolio of just like all these different uh musical um i guess genres of each country and so after that, after they get through like the third round of interviews, then we evaluate their finances. So we're 100% need met. So in the same way that colleges will, um, who are 100% need met, they look at your income and they determine what you pay. So we have some students who are on full scholarship. We only have a few students who pay the whole cost, um, but it's really an uh, aggregate number of like based off of your family and what they can do. And it takes into account all your debt, like your mortgage and all those other things. And they determine. So we have everything from people, like I said, going completely free, including visas and flights to people who only pay for visas and flights to people who pay for like 500, 1,000, 5,000. And then we have like the few students who are, uh, are fortunate to uh, pay the full price. But to be honest with you, uh, from my understanding, even the full price is uh, still subsidized by us because the experience is um, is not cheap. <laughs> um, and when they're in country, everything's covered. Uh, we're Apple certified school, so all the kids get a MacBook Air, an iPad, an iPhone. Um, like I said, if they want to, like we have a kid who, a, a girl who is doing a, um, a podcast, so she just brought a microphone and she just brought a subscription to Lipson or whatever one of those uh, blueberry companies are. So they, they can pursue their passion. And so we're looking for students who are passionate, not only about something inside of them, but how they can turn that into a passion for the world. Um, students have created nonprofit organizations through our school, app, like apps on the phone through the school to become more or sustainable coffee drinkers when you travel. So, I mean, the kids are amazing. They don't come amazing, right? Like they, they need to be unschooled and we do like a whole term and a half to like unschool yeah. them. And then um, because it looks different, like school is not the same, but the, the biggest testimonies that like for me are like the kids who were like, you see how smart they are, but then you look at their grades from where they came from, you're like, you just were not in the right place, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so every year we have um, applications. The applications come out in around July and we start interviewing in October and we have everyone set right around March. So um, if anyone's interested, especially, um, you know, just apply and hit me up. You can always like ask me questions and yeah. and I do all the college counseling. I do all the um the social emotional counseling and so like i know a lot of parents are like well, what about college how does this like all this fun and traveling translate i mean they get they get a transcript they have regular classes and the same energy that we put in the school that i was working at um in connecticut which was the number one high school in connecticut which was a 100 black and hispanic high school which is like amazing to be yeah. number one 
um, the same energy that they got there with college counseling is the same energy they get. And they, these kids apply all over the world. Um, and so, yeah, so everything is, is pretty great, but it is a really niche kid that fits for us. Wow, that sounds like an amazing program. Um, yeah, I would have loved. I don't know. I'm sure it would have been an adjustment for me personally, knowing thinking about myself and like high school or middle school mm-hmm. transitioning to high school and how like dealing with changes and new things. But I'm sure I would have been like, wow, like I would have tried at least if I had yeah, known yeah, yeah. <laughs> a program like this existing, I would have at least tried to go for it. Um, yeah, that's and the good that's, thing is, after every eight weeks, you go home, you go home yeah. for a month. A little bit longer than a month and so you like you're connecting and you're back home so the old model used to be it used to be like three and a half months on and then you had the traditional christmas break and then another four months on and that was just the reason why we switched it is because students around two months were ready to go yeah yeah because to be honest with you um even for me like if you are in a location for around two months, that's the threshold that is appropriate. Once you get to like longer than two months, but less than a year, now you're kind of like on the fence of like, do I all the way dive in or do I not? Because you, like you, you like a lot of places, um, like even for like a cell phone, like when we were in China, like we couldn't have a regular cell phone cause we weren't gonna be there for more than a year. Mm-hmm. You know, like we had to have like a tourist SIM card. Um, and so there's some restrictions. So then you start to get a little frustrated because you're like, okay, I'm here, I'm living here, but like, I'm not able to really like integrate into the community and the culture as much. Um, but we do as much as we can. But I do think two months is like a good sweet spot for people to kind of like get through the culture shock, settle in, and then start thinking about leaving and, and unpacking their experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That does sound like a good amount of time. Yeah. yeah. I know you said the students come from all over the world, but is there, um, does there tend to be certain countries that more students come from than other countries? Hmm. No. Um, when we're recruiting, we do try to think about like, oh, okay, we're missing students from this area um, of the world or this area. Um, so we do try to keep that in mind. But I mean, we have everywhere from like, Let's see, the U.S., Mexico, Canada. Uh, we have people from um, Vietnam, Thailand, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Uh, let's see, Malaysia, the Netherlands, New Zealand. Um, like literally, like if you look at the map, the pings are are all over. Um, and next year, we, we did a, a really good job. We we're going to have a young lady from Brazil um and i think from kenya as well so yeah to be honest our biggest thing that we're working on is getting the word out there we get a lot of applications so we know that it is but like i think like targeted recruiting for populations is really key because what we start to see is like oh i'm a friend of a friend of a friend or my mom's my mom's friend's son goes here and so then what happens is you just get this concentrated area of people because it's just word of mouth so when you don't have people that ever go to the school it's just like out of sight out of mind and then 
like us, you know, years later when we're adults, we're like, wait, I would have applied to this school, right. you know, but we just didn't know anyone like in our social network um, yeah. who can do it. So we are trying to think outside the box. I know for me, I post in like every group, like I posted in No Madness, I posted in like Black Americans teaching abroad, I posted in um, Black families from around the world, living around the world, like all of these different places and say, hey, like if you are world schooling your kid or if you have a kid who would be fit, like just apply. Um, so that's kind of like my contribution to help as well. Um, and just like make sure that that conversation is always brought up at the table to make sure that the school is um, diverse in country and color and things like that. Economically, socioeconomically, we have a really good range country we have really good range um but like i said when it comes from like a lot of word of mouth when you don't ever get to a population you'll never get to them and so just thinking about how can we intentionally like do that uh well it's admirable that you try and do your part to bring in more people uh especially like black travel spaces online like trying to get the word out that way you know yeah um i'm sure it'll continue to just get like better and better as far as like the pool of students that you have you know uh, yeah. but like y'all are, y'all try to be really intentional as it is. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it'll just get even better from there. Yeah. Um, definitely. and you said students get, uh, it's just, this is like their high school experience. So is it four years or is it three years or three years? Um, okay. yeah, three years. So they finish their ninth grade year in their country oh, okay. and then they apply the ninth grade year. We do the transfer credits. Um, we're, we're accredited in the U S for a high school diploma. So our accreditation committee just came to re-accreditate us. And, um, yeah, so they get a, a U.S. diploma, which is good. Um, and so they can pretty much take that diploma everywhere. And so like part of my job is helping students. And the reason why I'm going to like Ireland is to help students understand with the U.S. diploma, how can I apply to these different schools in the different countries? Mm-hmm. So like some schools, like for example, in the U.S., right, they just need the SATs and, you know, those sorts of things. But in Europe, a lot of schools will say, oh, with the U.S. diploma, you need three APs at this score. You don't even need the SATs. Um, I'm really excited to like really push us, the University of Cape Town in South Africa because that school for a non-resident of South Africa with everything included, including room and board is like $11,000. So, and they're one of the top like 50 um, uh, universities in the world. So, you know, just kind of seeing that and the kids don't need SAT scores, they don't need ACT, they don't need AP. So all those pressures of schooling kind of go away. Um, And then even like, for example, like Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, same thing. If you get in, it's pretty much free. You might pay $3,000 for fees. Um, but like just trying to help students understand what the U.S. diploma, what does that mean? In the past, we used to be an IB school. Mm. Um, and so we switched from an IB school a couple of years ago because, um, students were just so focused on the score of their exams that when they were in these countries, a lot of times they could have just been locked up in the room, just studying. And it really, it's like, okay, if you're just going to be in your room the whole time you're in Spain, we can just take this party over to like Kansas, you know, it's like, <laughs> like, you know, I, I'm just thinking somewhere like maybe cheap to live and just put y'all yeah. in a room. Um, but now without the pressure of like the IB um, 
curriculum, these students have a, a better opportunity and they're, and they're much more engaged in the country. They're more willing to like go on spontaneous field trips or community service or um, building and bonding with each other or even educators instead of saying, no, 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 I can't do that. I know it's really cool, but I got to study. Um, so we moved away from the IB program a couple of years ago. And I, I do think it's a really good, um, a really good move. And we're getting more students who are more curious about the world versus before it sounded like the students were high achievers and also loved to travel. Um, And so the traveling was there, uh, but they also wanted that IB. But our our kids are doing great. They're getting accepted into colleges. Um, They're still doing fine. And so I I think it was a good move from like an organizational standpoint. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think when I first, I think I saw in your, uh, on your website, you mentioned Think Global School, and I, w- I didn't like look into it that deeply, but that was the idea that I had, oh, maybe it's like a lot of high achieving students, maybe they even do IB, because that kind of makes sense, given the fact that it's like a, a traveling school, like you're yeah. having an international experience, and this international edu- educative experience, but I'm glad that you explained like how like you kind of transitioned uh, away from that a little bit. Uh, because of the the purpose of your program is so like um, like comprehensive, yeah. like, as far as what you want the students to get out of it, um, mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you explained that. Because otherwise, yeah. I just would have assumed it was the way I thought it was, and that's how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, our students are super super intelligent, but like looking more from like multiple um, types of intelligence instead of like just. IQ. I mean, our kids are so artistic and creative and, and, you know, they learn through experiences. Like, you know, we don't need to sit them down and have a public speaking class. Yeah. We can like mold them, but they can learn just by modeling other public speakers that they see. Um, Mm -hmm. And and we're mentors. We're not even really uh, teachers, even myself, like in the counseling role is still mentor students. So let's say a student wants to do a podcast cool. It's a natural opportunity for me to mentor them. Okay. This is a good mic. This is what you need to be doing. Join this group. What like, you know, women who podcast on, or she podcast on um, Facebook so you can get information. So it's just a natural living life with students who are passionate. And then like collectively all the educators from the principal down, we all have our passion. So the, the, the teachers, they're not pigeonholed into only talking about science. Right. They might have a passion for uh, maybe running. And so maybe they do a running group and or, you know, just so many different things. So it allows us to be for me. I like it because it allows me to be my whole self every day. So when I'm at work, I don't have to like hide the fact that I have a podcast or I'm like, I don't have to hide the fact that I enjoy learning about other like blacks abroad and like their experiences. I can be my whole self. And because everyone there is curious you know you just get questions and you know it's it's a really it's a really liberating thing and and i get that like it's a very privileged school in the sense that we are able to do that um but i do hope like in the future for me is to like work with schools especially in inner like inner cities to like figure out how to make project-based learning a thing no you don't have to travel around the world because essentially all we're doing is we're literally going to a city and we're creating a project-based model with 
like with field trips and guest speakers and all these different things. If you just do that well for your kids, you know, and obviously they need resources and someone who understands project-based learning, but I I feel like kids can grow so much from just getting out of the classroom. So like the Mm -hmm. whole idea of global school is like, it's a school without walls. Um, We learn everywhere. Um, And so that's like my dream and, and probably starting back at the high school that I, I worked at because, um, yeah, we were really a great high school and we had AP for all and kids were getting accepted to everywhere from like Harvard to Stanford to the state schools, to Tufts, Brown, like everywhere in between. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that we miss students' ability to like pull out their potential if they don't fall into that one like level or a type of intellect. Yeah. Um, but they're open to it. They, like I said, I, I just think it's a niche area for people that need help or like consulting or things like that. So once I learn a little bit more and kind of see how it goes, I, I would love to like help give back in that way. Um, and I think that sounds like I have a brother who um, wasn't like the brightest kid in high school, like formal school. And then he went to college, he went to Johnson and Wales and he did hospitality and tourism. And he joined like these groups like DECA and some other like business competition groups. And he thrived. Like I think he got like a 4.0 in college. Mind you, this was the, like the kid who didn't want to wake up to go to school. My mom would be like, get up, you know? And, and I think it was just like that hands-on thing. And he's been working in Las Vegas for MGM corporate for the last, and since 2006 you know like they hired him and he finished school there like he did a summer internship and he finished school there and like my brother's a person that would like have totally been amazing at this traveling so I don't know if he would want to travel but like just the idea of like kinesthetic learning and not have been like you know maybe um called out like oh maybe his potential isn't as bright because clearly it is um but he was just in the wrong environment so I think like creating schools um for kids to thrive and I I always think about like boys like our young men in society uh, who might not thrive and obviously there's a niche of girls but I I always feel like girls are a little bit more obedient and submissive and like able to follow instructions Mm -hmm. but I think our boys are really struggling in the way that like schools are are created and so I do have like this innate desire to figure out like a solution like for that. Yeah, and I'm sure that informs your desire, like you said at, at the earlier, about wanting to create like a, a scholarship to help students, like fund students, uh, like airfare to yeah. participate in international programs and the like. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I'm sure you'll you'll get there, and I'm I'm sure you're not the only one out there. But since I'm talking to you, <laughs> I think it's good that you're thinking about like different types of students, different types of intelligence, and what you want to offer them, like what you, the things that you want to be available to them, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's that's really thoughtful. I just had a few more questions about the the Think Global yeah. program. So I, you mentioned Oman, I know you said, and China, I know you said you're going to Greece next, like the next term mm-hmm. is gonna be in Greece. Uh, what other countries have you gone to with Think Global so far? So the 12 countries in the rotation are, um, it's Botswana, India, Japan, Spain, China, Oman, Costa Rica, Greece, um, Bosnia, Australia, Chile, Italy. Okay. So you're like just past like the, like the halfway point as far as like countries go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Costa Rica um, was just, just happened. And, um, and then it just cycles around. We do make like subtle changes. For example, uh, when I first started, 
we weren't going to go to Chile. That was never on the list. It got like unveiled. Maybe we had a PD in Dubai and, and the head of school said, we're just going to go to Chile. We were supposed to go to Peru. Mm. Um, but the issue with Peru, I think, was altitude. So the last time they had gone to Peru, like everyone was sick. Um, and it was really hard to hike up Machu Picchu in the time of year just wasn't ideal. And so um, they just said, you know what? We're going to go to Chile. So Chile will be next year in January. So okay. this year they sent a team to go there and kind of do the, um, like the lay of the land. What are we going to do? How's it going to look? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we'll just cycle right back into Botswana unless they decide to change something, but it just keeps cycling through. So if um, a student, yeah. So if a student joins next year, when we start our like school year starts in July, like the end of July, um, they'll join us in Bosnia, and then their third year will be um, what I'm doing now, the okay. China Oman Costa Rica Greece. Yeah. So we have two cohorts. So the other cohort has every single like there's another one of me and the other cohort. She's been there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, people tend to like stay at this job forever because it's just like a really cool uh, thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they're one year behind us. So they just finished Japan, and then they'll go to Spain. And then next year, they'll do China, Oman, Costa Rica, Greece, what will be in the other location. Okay. Yeah, it's a logistical, like, brainchild. Like, I'm happy I'm not on that end. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I I think I had the idea that y'all just go to different countries every year. But it Mm -hmm. makes sense when you, um, like, go on a cycle. You go through the same countries over that yeah. period and then like you might make a couple changes here and there but you basically go into the same countries every you know three years exactly. uh or, or three year period okay yeah yeah in the past they were it was like one of those things they were like in a room took a dart and was like boom we're gonna go there <laughs> like, that's how it felt you like see all these places they were like in vancouver and sweden and all these other places um but i think a couple things happened i think they were like you know that's not sustainable travel like you're building relationships you're not going back to them um and it's really costly to send a recon team to have to like figure out all these new things and so i think like in just being more conscious travelers they decided to do that um and so, yeah, I, I think that's kind of what happened. But when it was the IB program, if you look at like where they were, it was just kind of like, hey, we're just gonna go here. And so they went, they just went. Um, but now I think just for like being more cost conscious, sustainable, it's really cool. Cause like we were working with um, like the surfing school that we were working with this year in Costa Rica. They're like, oh, we still have our sticker on the, the fridge from when you guys came the last time. Aww. And so it's yeah, even though I wasn't there, they, they just felt like, wow, you guys are back. And like, um, yeah, I, I'm sure like if you look at like companies, like their their finances like spike when we're here and they're like, you know, what would cause this like spike in money? It's like, oh, think global school was here. The whole school just came and just spent up, you know, on tuk-tuks and, you know, these different restaurants and smoothies and the hotels. So I think we're looking to just be more conscious travelers. Okay. And then when you, when you go to each country, I know you, you do like project-based learning, so I'm sure you're not yeah. like in the same classroom every single day, but is there, like when you go to a country, is there like a certain school that you all have as like home base? Yeah, so that's a good question. So we um, sometimes partner. So when we were in China, we partnered with the international school. It was literally three like buildings down from where we were, where we were staying. So the okay. students have a student res and then we have our own res for mm-hmm. staff. 
or like for in Europe, we have Airbnbs where just all over in the student res is somewhere centrally located. So there we rented out classroom space in that school and we were able to use their cafeteria and all those other things. When we were in Oman, um, the traffic is really bad there. And so like getting to a school would require a car and it would just take a lot of transport time. So what we did in Oman was in our residence, we rented out, it was apartment residence so the kids can like cook because they learn how to cook and those sorts of things. So we rented out four additional rooms or apartments and we basically had them gutted out. So take out the bed, the couch, the everything. The only thing in there is like the screen and we get chairs and we really like redo the whole thing and that's the classroom space. And then we have like a sick room in case someone needs to be like quarantined or something like that. But like, yeah, so we, we do that. Um, I'm trying to think in Costa Rica, um, the classroom spaces were outside because like where we stayed was everything in Costa Rica is outside. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go to this restaurant. It's like outside. There's no AC. Like you just think like, okay, I'm going to get some AC. It's like, no, there's no, like everyone's just looking at the sky and the trees and the monkeys and the birds. So we actually had these like outdoor spaces. So we kind of took over where we were staying. They have like a, um, like a gym area. So we took over there. I mean, we were 90% of the occupancy there as well. And then there was another like small kitchen space that they like, set up for us to have a classroom space in and then the other class just met in the like in the the like uh what do you call it like a cafeteria and they all of them have the tv and sometimes we will ask the place to fund it in costa rica the wi-fi where we were in the pacific by the ocean wasn't the best so our tech guy came in and because we were there their tech got upgraded because we brought in like a better wi-fi service so he went there a week before us because mm -hmm. we do need wi-fi for everything yeah because um, they do their learning and all the other stuff so we, we kind of do that in Greece um I think they do the they rent out the spaces but there's also like a um, like an outdoor area sometimes we just have class there the kids can just bring their laptop and every time they get a the sim card for the phone they always have an opportunity to hotspot so even if we're like in a area without wi-fi they can just hotspot from their their phone and, and plug in and do their work okay Wow, so, so much planning that has to go into making this program work. Wow. Yeah, so happy that. I'm not <laughs> so, so happy. Great, you don't have to do that. <laughs> no, it just seems like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Things that you don't think about, right? Like, you just, mm -hmm. like, even like giving like stipends to the kids because they learned how to budget and have to plan for like their meals and like logistics regarding currency and just everything it's just it's such a beast yeah <laughs> like yeah and um in between the because you, you said you they have like you have like four or five weeks or so in between each session do you usually because you said you're in panama now then you're going to cuba and then the term starts in greece so like yeah. do you usually travel in between those times or do you go back home you usually travel okay yeah i do so um if you live if you work abroad and you stay out of the U.S. a certain amount of days, you don't get taxed or you can mm -hmm. get all your money back from the taxes and the refund. So I try to just stay out of the U.S. Uh, yeah. I'm just yeah. Like, you know, I'll see y'all later. So right. I usually go back twice a year, but only for like five, six days. Like this is the, the longest I've been out of the U.S. Um, and that's why I had to get my hair done here in Panama, which was a, a task to find somebody too. Um 
but yeah, so I usually stay out. I usually like globe trot. We have no expectation to work during the break and the students have what they're supposed to be doing before they leave. So, I mean, I am going to, there's a, um, there's a question about the SAT that I just happened to see. Cause I, I just, this is the first time I really logged into my Gmail because mm -hmm. I knew you were going to send me the link. Um, but yeah, there's like no expectation. Um, for us. So for me, I just hang out in different countries that I've been like super interested in that's close by and just hop around um, and do that. The cool thing is my mom and I are going to do like a mom daughter trip and her best friend's coming. So when I go to Australia, I'll see her and then we'll hop around there. And then I was trying to get my dad to come to Panama, but he was I got them a dog like two years ago. They're just not having it. He's like, oh, I don't want to like leave Bella, you know. I, like, and I even said, bring her. I was like, bring Bella. I'll find a place that you can bring pets. He's like, no, because the way that they treat the dogs on the airplane. Oh, now my parents travel all the time. Yeah. So now they travel now that my brother and I are older. Um, and they're like, no, I can't put Bella, you know, underneath the plane. It's just not right. I, so he he didn't come, but I invited him. I'm like, Daddy, you'll love it. You can see like Afro-Panamanian culture. He was not having it. He was like, nope, I'll be right here with Bella. <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, he's like, Bella is their whole world now. It's so funny. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, if I can get them to travel to me, that's perfect. And mm. I've had friends, like one of my friends just came to visit me in Costa Rica. We went to Guatemala together. I had another friend from college come to visit me in Costa Rica. One of my friends came to visit me in China. So I always say, like, listen, wherever I am, you guys will always have a place to stay. Just hit me up and yeah. you guys can come. Because I, I think, like, for me, part of um, wanting to work abroad it was not just for me. It was for, like, to get other people to look at traveling abroad and sometimes the logistics and not knowing anyone is the biggest barrier. So like I was saying, you have no excuse, you have a place, a couch, a bed, something. And you have me and, and yes, I'm working so I can't hang out with you all day, but at least you can like dispel the fear that comes along with like traveling. Mm -hmm. So I think about this opportunity is for the collective of like my family and friends to expose them to. And I'm sure they appreciate that. I mean, you know, having someone, like you said, just have that, at least that element of fear, like uncertainty taken away where yeah. you're just like, I'm here, you can be mm -hmm. here and yeah. it'll be, it'll be, it'll be good. You know, yeah. if you're out somewhere, they can go out there too, if they want. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was like, discover, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> just get the plane ticket. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know we've been talking for a while, but I just had a few more questions, if that's okay. Yeah. You have, uh, as you mentioned, you have a podcast and an Instagram to go along with it. Like you have this online presence as, um, is it Uprooted? Is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, sorry. Backtracking to Think Global School. Uh, how, how long, like how many years has it been since you have been with this program? So I'm finishing my... Like they do the rotation thing. Yeah. So I'm like in the middle of the first like rotation. Oh, okay. So, so it has yeah, not super long. Okay. Uh, yeah, gotcha. not super, super long. But yeah, you you like get punched in the face with everything on day one. Yeah. But the cool thing is I started with like, let me think, it was me. It was like five other new people because they had just expanded the cohort to start in Botswana. So they needed more educators and they needed a, I was like a, a expansion position. Mm -hmm. So um, I didn't take anyone's position. I was an expansion. Yeah. So um, 
we all started together and we kind of all like figured it out together. Like even one of my coworkers, he's here in Panama. Um, but we're, we're like a little family, which is great because like when you travel like this, um, we're all we have, you know, but like I went with the principal, one of my other coworkers, we did Egypt together. And one of my other coworkers and I, like we were overlapped in Guatemala and Costa Rica together. And when I was in Guatemala, I visited one of my coworkers. So like, we're like a huge family, um, mm, right. which is nice. Cause you're like, well, you're going to be with these people for two months. It's really hard to make long-term connections in the country. So you better like these people, but mm-hmm. we're also different. Uh, but we all like have our own way of connecting. We, we kind of get each other like, okay, this person needs some space or like, you know what, this person needs a joke right now. They're like really uptight. Um, so yeah, so we, we're like a big extended family and it's always fun when um, we take kids out to eat. So like there was a, a situation where like if a kid gets grounded, uh, they can't have their own stipend. So what that means is they have to go eat with us like on Sunday and they can get grounded for like missing check-in or um, like not following a protocol for safety, those sorts of things. And so it was funny because it was me and then there was a white Canadian and then there was a girl from South Korea and a girl from where does her family live? Her family is also nomadic. They're uh, international educators. So I think they're living somewhere in like Southeast Asia. So like the four of us show up, you have like this Asian, you have like this super pale white guy, a more tanned white girl, and then me. And we all pull up to dinner, you know, like to eat. And it was just so funny because we had these conversations. We're like, I wonder what these people are thinking. Like, I wonder how they, these two adults made these kids, you know, because it's just like, maybe, maybe black and white makes Asian. I don't know. Because it's just like so hilarious because we we literally travel places and we don't think about it because we're just our own family. But like when we're all together and we're, we're in like these small little, little groups, like table for five. And I'm sure people are looking at us like, how is this possible? You know, like what, what is this? Um, but yeah, it, it, it's really, really fun. So the yeah. five of us started together and, and the whole school, um, we are a family. I'm sure we get on the kids' nerves, they get on our nerves. Like it's, it's terrible. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's been like under, under three years for you. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was, I was asking that because, um, when I was starting to ask you about Uprooted, I was wondering like, at what point you decided to start that, um, mm. did the, did the, like the Instagram or like, just like the website come first or did you, did you from the beginning intend to start a podcast as well? Like, how did that come together? So, um, Actually, this is something I had like been sitting on for so long, mm-hmm. um, but just had like no, I didn't know where to start, and I wasn't on social media mm-hmm. uh, before last, like this time last year, I was not on social media okay. at all. No Facebook, no Instagram, nothing. And so what happened was my friend hit me up, and at the time I used to just blog privately, like just send emails to family and friends. Whenever I would travel, it was just like send people things. Um, And the Spotify podcast competition or something like that came up. And they were like women of color. Um, And so women of color podcasters. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And at the time I loved podcasts because traveling podcasts would get you through. So my favorites are like Code Switch and I used to listen to the friend zone and like embedded, like very like um, 
politics that kind of go deeper into stories of people's lives and their culture and things like that. And so they were like, you know, you, you love interviewing people. And just naturally, when I used to work at the high school, I used to bring in people of color, guest speakers, like everyone from like veterinarians to police officers to um, like engineers, they were all black or Hispanic journalists because I wanted the kids to not be like me and get to college and never have heard of any of these fields. So mm-hmm. every Friday was like guest speaker Friday and I would bring in like all of these like amazing successful black people that were like in their backyard, but they would never cross, you know, um, each other's path. And so I used to like channel my inner Oprah and like ask these <laughs> questions and, you know, used to like my friends, they were all my friends. They would just come in and just spend the day. And so they said, you know, why don't you actually do something with like interviewing people and you're living, you're living like you're living abroad, you're hopping around, like, why don't you do something? So really, even though I didn't get the spot, the Spotify position, it was the thing that I needed to put everything on paper. Um, so I was able to do it and kind of like sort it out. I already had like the name and the logo, everything had already been done. Um, I just never did anything with it. And so that's kind of like what pushed me. Um, and it's been cool. The hardest part, like for me, the barrier is like, for example, in Costa Rica, the Wi-Fi was not the greatest and mm-hmm. China, there's the VPN or it's a blockage. So yeah. like I have interviews, um, but it's just like, okay, well, I don't know when I'll be able to like upload them or edit them. And it's hard to like, even Dropbox didn't work when I was in China. So it was hard to get it edited or any of these things. So there was just all these barriers, but people are just like, just whenever you get them, just like produce them. Like, okay, great. Like, I'm happy that you guys are super flexible. Um, I did sit down with someone to like kind of create like more realistic goals and kind of understanding each country and what I need to do before I get to the country. Like I'm going to Cuba next week and, um, I started these like tip travel tips. So someone was like, oh, you can use a pre- the preview app to kind of push all this content out without you having to like push it out. Cause in Cuba, I'm assuming the internet is going to be there, but it's not going to be the greatest. So just like thinking ahead has been probably the biggest challenge. Cause I'm not in one location all the time. So like, do you like interview people? Like as you travel, do you interview people in those countries? Like what is your strategy as far as like the types of guests that you interview for your podcast? people in the country. So I okay. did I five in China, I did a few in the Middle East um, when I was there. And and usually what I end up doing is whenever I'm traveling somewhere, I join like the brothers and sisters of this country group, or I check in like uh, blacks living abroad. And so I just like put it in there like, hey, I'm gonna be moving there. And then I just naturally hang out with them. And I'm like, oh, you know, you have a really cool story. I actually never like talk about the podcast. I'm like, oh, like, would you wanna be? And they're like, yeah, oh my God, I always wanted to do this. I'm like, okay, great. And so then we just kind of set up the interview from that um so so far i've had people from places that i've gone um gotcha so you go when you go you meet up with like black expats who are already there and you talk to them yeah that is so cool oh my gosh that is such a good idea (laughs) listen sis sis bro like we're gonna be family we're gonna be friends i don't care if you already got friends i'm gonna be part of the friend group and it's so funny because one of my friends, Jonathan, he um, lives in China. He's like, it is not fair that you come here, you sprinkle Tiffany dust, and then you just leave us. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but isn't it great that we now know each other and <laughs> like we're family? And and the same 
way that you guys welcome me. If you ever want to, you always want to go to Greece, just come. You have a place like we're family. Um, and that's one thing that has been great about traveling. Um, I've met some really, really awesome people who, especially when they're black expats, they know what it's like to just get into a country and not know anybody. So it's been really, really good. That's so cool. I haven't, um, unfortunately, I hadn't had the chance to check your podcast out before talking to you today, but I'm definitely going to do that now because that sounds like so much fun and so much fun to listen to, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Last few questions. Do you have any, one, do you have any financial advice for people who want to study abroad or simply travel more? And then also, do you have any general advice as far as like, travel tips or things that you would want people to know based on your own travel experiences? Yeah, I, I think like finances wise, um, in terms of studying abroad, I would say if you get a refund check, I would automatically like save that for study abroad. Um, and two is the power of asking, you know, there's so many opportunities in life um, that can come with like scholarships or funding, but sometimes we could just be prideful. We don't want to ask. And so just asking the question is really helpful. Um, I know that there's a ton of scholarships for study abroad that you can like look up. And then when I used to work at a, a university, we had a campus that was connected with our college. And so some students may have gone through the university and not have known that, but there's a lot of times where the same amount of money that you pay to be on campus in whatever city and state you're in is the same amount you can pay if you go abroad at the the kind of connected campus that the school has. So your financial aid transfers, if you get, you know, scholarship grants, loans, it's actually the same cost for you to go abroad as it is for you to attend a university in that city. The only mm -hmm. difference is the airfare, which is why I'm really passionate. I think like a lot of times people get accepted into these programs and even if they do get a scholarship, if your family doesn't have the money, they're not gonna be able to come up with maybe a $2,500 scholarship to get you there and back. Um, so those will be the things. Go to your study abroad director like day one when you get there, especially if you have majors like engineering or nursing or accounting, things that are really technical where you don't have a lot of elective spaces. I always say to plan early um, to study abroad just because um, they might have like a, a term where it's like, you know what, we offer these classes or we know a school that has these classes or when you're in your core curriculum, like you and I as poli sci majors, we get to study abroad any term we wanted because you can always like move those things around. But when you're in a more technical program and things are a building block, the number one reason why students don't go abroad is they just don't plan correctly. So by the time it's in their mind, they're like, oh no, like I can't leave campus because I need these classes to graduate. And now you're at risk of like being at, on campus longer. And then two, I think there's this like myth that I know a lot of people had when I was in school, especially maybe if you're like first gen college student, you want to get all of the college experience. I think there is a myth that says like, if you go abroad, you're going to miss out on something. Like you, you have this idea that your friends are just going to forget about you and like move on and have all these really cool experiences. And you don't think about all the experiences that you have abroad and these new relationships and contacts and things. So I would just say like, don't allow that to deter you from going abroad. Don't think like, oh, I'm going to miss out on the fashion show or the lipstick contest. These are things people were saying like, they're like, well, I'm part of the dance team. I'm like, you know, you can dance like abroad. You can do all these different things. So I think that's like 
something in terms of like school related abroad, like don't allow those myths to like turn it into a regret. And then the second thing um, in terms of like just tips in general for travel, um, just be all in, you know, like when you get there, just go 100% into the culture, try to speak the language, try the food, um, get to know people, you know, like don't stay in a bubble of just like, your friends or if you're in a study abroad program like get out of there like you're not you're not studying abroad just to like take your american self to another country you're going there to be in another country and in the same way that we push people who come to the u.s to like try to assimilate and like adapt to us like we should also have that mindset um one of my like I remember when I learned this, these words in sociology, like 101, it was like being ethnocentric versus culturally relative. And I think mm -hmm. if we can produce more students who are culturally relative, it's like you're doing the things that are uh, like relevant to like where you are versus like doing what you have learned um, in your own culture. And so I think it's important to just be that way. You will really enjoy travel a lot more if you were to just like dive in, like listen to the music. I, I, I have a rule like for me when I walk around, I don't have my headphones on because I want to hear if, if the language barrier is not there. What are people talking about? Like what is like the buzzword? I want to smell like, I, I don't know. I don't like all the senses, you know? Um, yeah. And so yeah, I, I just say like be all in and and don't think about man we don't have this back where I'm from. Think about like wow like these people have managed to do it without this, um, and, and that takes some training and like discipline and, and those sorts of things. And then my last tip is if when people study abroad, um, and I probably didn't do this well for this podcast, but when people study abroad, I always say like have like a three minutes like spiel about like what you went through because as excited as you are nobody else had that experience so sometimes it's really hard for them to sit through like an hour and a half presentation of your experience mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one thing that before I came back from South Africa we had a training before we went back home and that really helped me because you can get really discouraged like nobody cares that I went abroad and you can get frustrated with your family your friends but you have to remember that studying abroad going abroad is your own personal experience and as great as it was you can't expect anyone else to have had that experience and you have to be empathic and so think about your audience and and just it's it's a better reason for you to stay connected to the people that you had the experience with because those are the people you can talk about for hours and hours and hours about your experiences abroad but your family and friends they didn't go through that so try to give them the high level you know things and allow them to just digest that um yeah. and so yeah I, I think sometimes people get really frustrated when they come back from being abroad like nobody cares but it's just that they just didn't experience it and that's mm -hmm. okay yeah, you know that's a good point. That's a good point. Because usually when I when I would come back, I would just like there'd be a time where I just show my mom all my photos, and then that would usually be it. And then maybe later yeah. on, I might say something like I might be at a restaurant and be like, "Oh, I, you know, it's hard for me to break this habit that I developed when I was in this place," or "Oh, that reminds me of that one time," you know. So it's like, you know, over time, like little doses, you can be like tell more of the story uh, versus like trying to 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 relate all everything that happened all at once once yeah. you get back you know so yeah.
Yeah, that's really good advice. Really good advice. <laughs> um, do you, uh, you've been to <laughs> many places, obviously. Is mm-hmm. there uh, anywhere that you would like to go that you haven't been yet or somewhere that you would like to return to? Yeah, so next year um, in between Italy and Botswana, we have like a, a little bit longer of a break um, mm-hmm. just because of the way the scheduling worked out. I think we have like seven or eight weeks. So I'm going to go, I'm going to start from like Ethiopia and backpack all the way down to Botswana. So that's something that's like been on my radar. And when I say backpack, I mean, I'm going to be on a bus. Like I, <laughs> I'm not really, and I'm going to have a suitcase. <laughs> I just mean like, I just want to go from country to country. Um, That's something I'm really excited about. And one thing I am looking into is after that trip, well, actually a little bit before that, um, I'm checking out Panama now. And then in September, I'll check out Colombia. I am looking for a place that during each break, instead of like hopping all, all around, I just have one place to go to. So maybe if I travel to like India, maybe I'll go somewhere like super close to India right after for a week. But then for the rest of like the four weeks, I just go back to one place and have a community of people that I can return to and be a part of and just relax. Um, It is fun to like hop around, but you can definitely get like traveler's fatigue. Um, And that's why like Panama Mm -hmm. stayed a little bit longer just to like, some days I'm sleeping in, some days I'm not doing anything and it's okay. Um, but I do want to figure out a way to have some sort of community in between my breaks that I can go back to. And so I am kind of looking into that. I like Panama, Colombia because I, uh, I learned Spanish, I salsa dance, they have a black community here. So I'm not like stared at all the time. Um, so yeah, I am, that's kind of like in the future is to like find somewhere that I can live during each break, which turned out to be almost like five months a year. Okay. So kind of like a, like a, another home base while you're abroad. So yeah. even though you're still traveling around, you have some sort of like roots, some sort of connection exactly. to the people that exactly. you. Okay. Yeah. I hope you find it. I hope you find the place that's you just right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> yeah. And, and my very last question is how can people reach you or keep up with you online if, if you'd like them to do so? Sure. So I'm on Instagram. Um, my username is Tiff. So T-I-F-F underscore Tastic. So it's like fantastic, but Tiff-tastic. Mm-hmm. And the number one. And then on Facebook, I have a Facebook page. It's the Uprooted Series. And then the podcast is on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, and Google. And it's just called the Uprooted Podcast. And you'll see a yellow background with a girl with a fro fist. And that's me. (laughs) (laughs) That's me. Yeah. So if they are, if you guys follow that and, and, and feel free to reach out, like if you have any questions, like I love people and connecting and helping and, oh, you want to go somewhere that I've never been? I could just connect you with other people. Um, Whatever makes traveling easier for other people. That's like kind of what I would like to give back to the world. Okay. And if people have questions about the Think Global School, should they contact you through those, uh, yeah. the ways you just mentioned as well? Yeah, you can do that. Okay. Or if you go to the Think Global School website, um, you'll see my picture under like our team and you can just email me. Um, okay. Especially if you have like questions, you're like, well, I don't want to like ask someone, I don't know if it sounds like a a good question, will this hurt the chances of them getting in? Just ask me because I prefer to like kind of help you through it. That way you can like shine during the interview. (laughs) Wonderful. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you uh, so much for spending your time with me. This has been so much fun. <laughs> I know. My cheeks hurt from laughing and smiling. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed yourself as much as I, I did. did. <laughs> and uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, rest of your time in Panama. I hope Cuba is amazing. I hope Greece is amazing. And I hope everything that you're doing right now, everything you're aiming for, turns out to be exactly as you want it to be. Uh, I think you're doing really good work. And uh, you just seem like a really bright person who's trying to share <laughs> so much positivity with the world. And I just, I hope you're successful in all of that. I really do. You too. Thank you for having me. I'm like really excited about this. <laughs> me too. Me too. It was my pleasure. It was my pleasure. But yeah, thank you so much. And you have a fantastic day. Okay, Tiffany? Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right, y'all, there it is. Thanks to Tiffany for being such a wonderful guest, and I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook, and don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Acast, or Stitcher. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for next week, the guest is going to be someone who uh, was at the same university as me around the same time. We were in in similar circles, but for some reason our paths never crossed until recently. And uh, she's currently a grad student in London, um, but she is also a model and uh, studied abroad in France when she was in college. And she also taught English in South Korea for a bit. So we talked about all that. Uh, She really is um, a really interesting person. And uh, I'm looking forward to having you learn about her. So you can hear all about that next week. But until then, thank you so much for listening. And talk to you next time.